You're listening to the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast, the people's podcast, and we're here to rock the podcast world. You're listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed, the people's podcast. We are here to rock the podcast world. people get ready for an iconic interview with a personal friend of mine called Marcello, um, a man who has struggled with gambling and he also struggles with depression and with having bipolar he discusses that in this interview I like to call this man the Italian Stallion of Scotland and also I I like to call him Rocky occasionally because he's a good fan of the Rocky films and he, he likes to, he's a very big fan, he's a, a very big fan of Sylvester Stallone. Um, so we have a wee small bit of music from one of Rocky IV, um, just before we get into the interview. This is part one of this interview, interview as it was a long chat I had with the Italian Stallion. So I want to say this part two will be coming up soon in the future. So please enjoy part one uh, and a little bit of music beforehand as we kick off the the interview with Marcello and the Italian Stallion of Scotland. Please enjoy.
Welcome to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleash, the people's podcast, here to rock the podcast world. We are sitting here with a guest um, on our show today. We're going. To, this is talking uh, of, our section here is a two-story, two-story of a part one of this podcast will be talking of an illness called depression, which many, many people suffer from and many people find hard to conquer and some people do recover from it. Also, part two will be talking about uh, his conquered addiction to gambling how he how all started and what he went through with it and now how he's come out of it during the course of this interview um and also about his love of dancing and salsa as well and just a general info just general chit chat about how marcello got into these things and how he got into salsa and how he enjoys the dancing and, uh, and meeting people and helping people as well um, so I want to welcome to the show, I want to give uh, to Marcello, welcome to the Hatchick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast. Thank you, Ramsey. How are you doing, Fraser? I'm good, you're good. So let's, so, let's start with some questions. How, where, where are you from? Where, did you, where, did, uh, where were you brought up? Where were you... Okay, tell us your background. Yeah, yeah. Your background to... Absolutely, absolutely. Well, hello everybody. Name's Marcello. I was born in Scotland. And from a, a fa- an Italian family, um, you know, um, born in beautiful Scotland, you know, but I lived also in Italy from the age of seven to fourteen, and uh, you know, these were distressful times for me. In which way? Because when I was born in Scotland, I loved Scotland. When I was in primary three, I actually just uh, got taken away from school and brought to Italy. And uh, so I've, I, I lost the language, the English language, and uh, basically had to learn Italian uh, through put, being put two years behind in school, you know, from primary three to primary one back in Italy. There I used to get beaten up for my, my, my so-called good teacher, you know, because I was Scottish over in Italy, you know, as in over here I'm Italian. So, hey, it's a no-winless situation, but then again, I absolutely love it, Scottish-Italian. So anyway, I'm going to just say to you people here, thank you for listening, by the way, that um, from this journey of uh, seven years old in Italy, you know, I actually got the culture, which was great, you know, back in, uh, from 1977 to 1984. And it was, it was beautiful, you know, I enjoyed it. I used to be crazy around with motorbikes and, and bikes, you know, so it was a really seven years hard, but very fruitful. We used to have a bar in Italy and I used to work there. I actually ran the bar myself for a couple of weeks when my mother was ill and my, my father was back in Scotland with my brother. So, you know, um, there was lots of uh, good things and, uh, you know, World Cup 1982, uh, Italy winning. Uh, it was great. It was beautiful. Uh, um, there was a go-kart day going on there as well before the match and it was really busy in the bar and uh, I was just only... I was only 12 years old and I was serving behind this bar and I felt great, you know, I was going to match because uh, of responsibilities, which is, you know, something that actually very creative as a child and what way I was put into responsibilities from the age of five because my mum and dad, they had a chip shop uh, here in Scotland and uh, I was serving tables of five. So I'm rewinding here a little, you know, but I'm going to go straight back to Italy, you know. So from the age of 12, here, here I am, you know, serving this bar, but I'm going to school, by the way, you know. Uh, didn't drop school at all, you know, <laughs> as some, some of us do, which I do not recommend for, for our children, you know. Uh, education is very important. So, and I, I wish I studied more, but hey, it's never too late. 
So anyway, people, um, from there, my father comes back to Scotland after three months uh, working, um, you know, in Scotland, back to Italy, and he says, well, pack our bags and we're going back to Scotland. And as soon as I heard this news, I tried for three months, you know, because I had my life there, I had my friends, I had my schooling, I had this responsibility of the bar, even though I wanted to become a mechanical engineer. That was my dream. But uh, that got shattered, you know, uh, just like the, the, the actual dream that I was living as a child here in Scotland. I was a dancer, uh, you know, uh, from the age of four to the age of seven, I was doing ballroom dancing, I was winning competitions. So it was great, you know, I'm just gifted with this, and, you know, and given the opportunity from my parents. So um, anyway, the, there was a trauma there that I had to go back uh, to, to Scotland, so obviously I didn't know any English. So coming back into Scotland, I had to learn the language again, and I got thrown straight into fourth year. Um, and uh, I only done three years of school, schooling, which was fourth, fifth, and sorry, no, I I got thrown straight into second year. My fault, sorry, memory lack there. And uh, so second, third, and fourth year, and a beautiful school. Yeah, it was a Catholic school. And um, there, you know, I used to sing in a Tuesday in Italian lessons and Italian songs, you know, Lasciatemi cantare, lasciatemi cantare, con la chitarra in mano, lasciatemi cantare. Okay, sorry, Fraser, you know, I ain't got no much time for this. I'm going to carry on with my story. I sorry, got, guys. I, I, got much, I don't have any Italian, sorry. Uh, so anyway, carry on. So, uh, okay, so let's, uh, so basically that's your rough background. Um, let's say... Uh, I'm going to jump. Okay, I'm going to jump to sixteen. So, so basically, from when you when you hit sixteen, obviously, were you back in Scotland when you were sixteen? Well, you... yeah, I'd been in Scotland back when I was the age of thirteen and three quarters, nearly so, fourteen. So nearly fourteen. So you're back in Scotland, and how? So from being back in Scotland, uh, and how do you, how was life? Was it generally okay getting back to the, or did you get used to it? Or was and then suddenly when you hit sixteen, when you started to know, rediscover when well, I suppose back then. Depression maybe wasn't as um, in the forefront as it is now with people around the world and, and recognise as much. So how did you find that when you were uh, way back then? Way back then, it took me a while to get inserted back into the community and the Scottish way of living, you know. Um, very different from Italian back in the 80s, you know. Um, but, you know, uh, um, I've been gifted, thank God, you know, with the... the you know, the, the ability to speak to people, maybe too much, so sorry for talking too much, guys, but, you know, bear with me and listen if you can. So, yes, I um, got brought here back into school. I was I started working in the chip shop again, but this time I was starting to learn to fry through my mum and dad. So I had the responsibility of frying fish and chips, you know, and, and actually helping the family business at the same time studying. So, 16, here we go, you know, and uh, the, the shattered dream of mechanical engineering because I never continued my studies, even though my mother did say to me, Marcello, if you, you have the choice, stay at school. But no, I seen money. I was working, I was earning £100 a week of my work, you know, in, in my mum and dad's shop. And when I saw this money, and because of hard work, of course, you know, I had the responsibility of buying my clothes and stuff like that. So anyway, I chose to come out of school. From school, I went into chip shops and I had odd jobs here and there. I used to work for Top Man. I was a lorry driver and this and that, you know, but this was over 16. But I'm going to go straight to the point here, ladies and gentlemen. 
I'm going to go straight to depression. When I was 16, not knowing, you know, that um, anything about, you know, how this, if this was normal or not, but now that I know it was not normal, but at the same time it's a gift as well. That's how I see depression and I see bipolar. So, I remember that I would, my, my energy would drain quite a lot sometimes, you know, and I would like spend roughly maybe one full day in bed, or one and a half days in bed, you know, just resting and resting. But I was always a thinker and I was a very sensitive person, you know, maybe being Pisces, you know, it's <laughs> got something to do with it, you know, I don't know, even though I'm not too much into astrology, but hey, I've got nothing against it, you know. Um, so, yeah. Uh, my sensitivity actually led me to help many people and being friendly, but at the same time I was having a good life because I was having money in my pocket, buying nice clothes, driving my first car at 17, which I bought with my own money, you know. And what, was, what was your first car? It was a Renault Fuego GTS. Well, I've well, never heard of that but if you have, if you're obviously old enough or young enough to remember like your cars, you won't know what that make is. So obviously a Renault, but uh, never heard. Anyway, so it was a good spring around Edinburgh or whatever you were, Glasgow. Yeah, yeah, but um, sorry, that was 17 when I bought the car, but I'm going to actually cut you short there and go rewind to the depression. Okay, so okay. kind of the depression. So when you were starting to um, feel that you were staying in bed, uh, Obviously, for day uh, a day or a day and a half, did it gradually get worse, or did, how did it sort of proceed, or what did you find? What well, you, what you're saying was that as your health was de maybe deteriorating, is the word, as and and things were going like up and down. I I just thought I was tired, and that was that uh, you know I didn't think anything more of it. But um, what what um happened is that my mom and dad they went to Italy for four weeks holiday, and my brother and myself were left to run the shop for them to go on holiday. And there was a lot of pressure. There was football matches on a Saturday, so you're working hard to get all these supporters in, you know. Um, so, you know, it was it was good. And I felt great. I had all the responsibilities. But anyway, when they came back, it was time for my uh, my brother and another three of my friends, you know, there was, uh, and myself, we decided to go on a holiday to Venice, to Lido di Gesolo, actually, which is only... 20 minutes away from Venice. So anyway, we set off to this holiday, you know, and we just, you know, get there and the first couple of days everything's great. But actually, on the third night, when I went to bed, all I would think about and worry actually, was more worry than anything else, that my mum and father, my mum and dad would not be able to manage in the shop by themselves without me. So I used to cry at night, like a baby. <laughs> and my brother actually, you know, he was in the, you know, shared the room. He's, he came up to me a few times, hey man, what's up with you? You know, why are you crying? I said, my mum and dad are not going to manage, you know, things are going to be bad, you know. And he said, come on, man, you know, <laughs> this is your business, you know. Just calm down. But anyway, my thoughts at night time were always with them. So, anyway, I had a great time. It was good, great holiday. We come back, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, it was great. I'll tell you one little joke, actually. <laughs> you know, you, you see it in films sometimes, but there was five of us. One of my friends who were called Rosano, you know, and um, 
There was another guy called uh, Giancarlo, and there was another guy, guy called Gianmarco, you know? And uh, we all had 20,000 lira to chip in for our food the first night we got there, okay? And they, they decided it was going to be 100,000 lira. We're going to, they, were, they, they decided to go to the supermarket. So my brother and I, we gave them the money, and anyway, they went to the supermarket. And what actually happened when they came back was that there was 95,000 lira bought of alcohol, wines and spirits and stuff like that, you know, and there was only a couple of bags of peanuts and one bag of crisps. My brother and I, we looked at each other, not being drinkers, you know, and, um, you know, not because I'm anti, don't get me wrong, you know, but uh, <laughs> it was like, hey, man, where's the, where, guys, where's the food here? You know, how are we supposed to live on this week, you know? And they just smiled, hey, we're going to party. And so anyway, my brother and I, we went to buy food, you know. <laughs> so that's, that was it. But anyway, once I got back into, back into Scotland, um, I go straight to 18. So I'm, I'm having these sort of days here and there, you know, my energy's low and I sleep a lot. Fair enough. When I was 18... And I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen, this is where the gambling comes in. I had a, I've had a couple of friends, but one guy, okay, actually used to go to school with here in Scotland. But just by chance, six years later, he joined me in the same place, the same city, okay, which is Casino, in, in um, Monte Casino, yeah. Back in Italy, and he there, you know, and over there we were not really friends, much as close, but we still said hello to each other and everything like that, you know, we hang around a little together, but it wasn't really a close friendship. When I came here to Edinburgh with my family, you're talking four years later, they come back from Italy because of financial state in Italy at the time, because of politics and whatever, you know, the job losses and stuff, they came back as well. This is why I love this country, black and white, there's opportunity. Like they say, the, the dream, you know, an American dream. Well, I think there's a, there's a, there's a UK dream as well, you know? So, so, so what was, uh, so obviously, you know, obviously when you hit 18, that's when your sort of gambling started. So obviously your depression is sort of kind of this thing you've had. Like, well, you, how, how did you recognise it? Was, when did you, is it, did you find it was bipolar or depression later, way, way later on? Or, but obviously this is not now, this is obviously... Okay, okay, well, I'll tell yeah. you, I stepped in... Uh, no, that's okay, go ahead. Okay, thank you, Fraser, right. Um, all right. When I've got it, basically, I entered into a casino because it was a free Coca-Cola and a free sandwich. Happy days. <laughs> Happy days. Uh, and you're lunch. talking, I'm not even going to mention the amount of money that I've lost over the years because of this addiction. Okay. I'm not even going to mention it, but you can imagine working hard... Thousands... Millions, not millions, but maybe thousands. Well, I'll tell you one thing, the devil knows. Uh, okay? So you've, uh, you've lost a lot, basically you lost a lot of money. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, but you know, some people you need to live and learn, you know, and it's got to be the hard way sometimes. But, you know, I, I thank God, you know, where I am today, as in the fact, I don't have a lot of money at all, you know, I'm living day by day. But, uh, you know, I've got my health, you know, but what I'm saying here is that, you know, the, the gambling took over my life completely, even though I was working because I was young, you know, so what I was working, I was, I was, I was making, but, you know, the dream was to get married to a beautiful lady, beautiful woman, and to have a beautiful family, 
which that dream actually came along. In 1994, I got married and uh, I had children, you know. But during, uh, even though I managed to stop for five years gambling, but prior to the, the day the, of my marriage, I actually stopped gambling because I had to put something in force that would work for me to be on a self-exclusion list, not going to a casino. So with, uh, with your gambling, did you um, did you win, okay, did you win much money over the time, period of time you were gambling? I'll tell you one thing, okay? I'm going to tell you one. I'm going to give you a figure on this one, okay? All right? How much did you win? The, the most I've ever won, okay, in one time that I've been, which was like probably for about six, seven hours or something, right? Okay? In this casino establishment was £3,000. Which is a lot of money. Then, yeah. And also now, it's £3,000 that can feed you for a year if you're careful with your money. But I tell you one thing. That was nowhere close to what I had lost. So because of the addiction, and because of the... Same time, I, I understand uh, what goes on in the world about gamblers, as in there is a, a, a percentage of the ones that do all or nothing... But my view on it, and everybody's to their own this way in their choices and what they want to do about gambling, but once you're in it, it's a loser's game. When, when, did, you, when did you maybe realise that you're... Obviously, when people gamble, you get people who have the odds flutter on uh, maybe horse racing or they maybe do the lottery, they take it kind of light-hearted. And maybe when did you get to the stage that you really realise it says, right, I'm kind of getting a bit of control here. This is I'm The money I'm losing is... Becoming real, becoming real, <laughs> and it's affecting that by doing this, this is affecting the rest of my life. At what point did you actually realise that this was actually starting to affect and you're in a digging a hole for yourself? Fraser, wonderful question. Thank you for this question. I'm going to say another thing. It all started with ten pound, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Ten pound on my when I was eighteen. And from that very first time, which I lost ten pound, I did not win. Okay, on that in a specific night. I always felt bad about it. I felt really, really terrible with myself and I was blaming myself inside. But the, the, what grabbed me is that I was seeing all these different nationalities, from Scottish to wherever, to Chinese, to lots of Italians, to, you know, so many other nationalities, Turkish, people that had money in their hand, you know, not even switch cards back then, you know, all right? show or credit cards, you know, it was all money in hand. I could see these people just winning and winning, but really, I did not realise back then that they were lost probably 10 times, 20 times, 50 million times what they actually won that night. So I got involved into it, and I thought at the time, oh, this is cool, you know, this is cool. And I seen people, actually, some of my friends, a lot of my friends, you know, which were in the Italian community, you know, uh, that you know, in restaurants and and chip shops, you know, in cafes and all that. And I would see them there. So it became a way of living, you know, as in it was normal. This was normal. I would finish work. Instead of going dancing, which I used to love, I used to go clubbing, you know, at the age of 16. I always looked a little older in my age. So I would always get into over 21s, over 25s at times, you know. 
But I started coming away from basically the Marcello that I was, yeah? I, I, that was meant to be. I actually started this roller coaster ride of having to get my money back. And that's where it all comes from. And that's where the problem lies. Because that money is lost. And gambling is not even like you want to, if you drink so much, you're an alcoholic, okay, or you are on drugs. You don't have a substance to buy. There's nothing in your hands apart from money that goes or comes, but mainly goes away. So you're not buying anything. So you don't even realize. But the problem is the pressure's in your brain. The pressure's around. And then your character completely change. It changes dramatically because you get angry very easily because of stress. And I really think, and I really know actually, that gambling has got a big, big impact in my depression state as well. And the bipolar that I was diagnosed back in 2001. So how, with, um, with the gambling, obviously, when it started to get really bad, how did you, I mean, when you, how is it affecting your daily, when you weren't doing the gambling, obviously the money you're losing, how is it affecting your lifestyle? When you obviously, when you, how is it obviously living, or whenever you're staying, that type of thing, were you still staying at home, were you, did you have your own place, that kind of thing? Well, thanks for our creator. I had a, a, a wonderful mum and dad, so I was staying at home, okay? Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you one thing, you know. Um, I, I, I developed this gam- gambler thing. I've always loved cars, okay? I've always loved cars. You know, as a wee boy, the first time I put keys into the ignition, I was nearly three years old, and I, and I drove this car with first gear on it just by turning the, the ignition, heading over towards the, out the gate. And this was back in Italy for a holiday, you know? But anyway, so I love cars, and I, I actually started buying a lot of cars. So I was, not, not with the money that I was winning, okay, because there was no winnings really coming in, it was only loss, mm. but it was through hard work, you know, because I, I would not gamble everything, I had to leave some money for myself for a holiday and things like that. Mm. But as this developed over the years, you know, my character change, which I very really want to stipulate this so much, you know, as I said, I used to get a wee bit aggressive, I used to punch doors, or I used to, I've never been violent, I've never attacked anybody, you know, but uh, by watching Sylvester Stallone films, movies, you know, doing some boxing early in my life when I was 16, you know, and I loved the, you know, the Rambo and all these kind of thing, you know, I developed that kind of a little character of sideline of the Sylvester Stallone. Uh, but uh, at the same time, um, I was being me, I was being Marcel, but I must say my idol up till 2006 was Sylvester Stallone. So back onto your, your, your question, uh, Fraser. Yeah, I tell you one thing, okay, when I was 18 years old, I had £5,000 of hard work money in the bank, and that was just at the beginning of my gambling. So I still had this money. And when your head starts to go, basically, you lose the plot in your head that you what's right and what's wrong. Because this is what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, apart from the depression, when you're under the stress of an addiction, is that you make the wrong choices. Well, my wrong choice there, and when I was 18, I had £5,000. I went to see my bank manager and he was able to give me a loan of £28,000 
plus my 5,000 deposit for a beautiful apartment here in Scotland. And that was the idea was that I was going to buy this property, pay the mortgage, obviously, you know, and rent it at the same time because I was staying comfortably with my mom and father, you know. But what did I do? I love of cars. I seen a Fiat Uno Turbo in Archer's, it was the name of the garage, okay? It's actually a ladder garage, hey guys, <laughs> you know, at the time. <laughs> but there was this beautiful, green, shiny Fiat Uno Turbo 1.3i. So I sold my, at the time I had already the, I changed three cars, and the Renault 18 Turbo, okay? And I went to the Fiat Uno Turbo because it was my dream machine, fast machine, this thing, 147 miles an hour, 0 to 16, 3.7 seconds because I had a turbo compressor in it. So yeah, I bought the car. I actually went to my building society, grabbed the money, didn't even say anything to my mum, and I just went and bought the car. And the two days prior to that, I went to see my bank manager and he gave me the application for a loan, no problem. So there you go, and that was a mistake, you know, because I would have this property now. But then again, I might have even sold it because of the gambling addiction. You know, I don't know. Only, you know, God knows about that one. But anyway, my lifestyle started deteriorating. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, when I was 20 years, 24 years old, the day of my marriage, okay, I sold a house that we bought together. And I gambled £20,000, ladies and gentlemen, £20,000 of the house money that I was supposed to buy another house for my wife and I to live in in a different city here in Scotland. But I blew it in a casino. And actually, that's when I tried to commit suicide. I was standing at the edge of a cliff. I disappeared for two weeks. And actually, my parents and everybody, obviously, you know, for two weeks, during these two weeks, I was sleeping rough in the car. But every morning, I would stand at the edge of this cliff, contemplating, contemplating that I was no use. That was a disaster, that I would have done something so terrible, which it was terrible, yeah? You know? And I wanted to throw myself in my life. Suicide. But what I'm going to say to you people, if you know anybody that does gamble as an addiction, number one, we become very, very good liars. Very, very good liars. And we know how to hide everything. Okay? But please, for the sake of your child or your relative, or anyway, of your friend, please get a hold of them. Because these people are suffering big time inside. Mega big time. They're actually. So what? Um, so what I was gonna say is what? Um, just stop, sorry, stop you there. Just to, um, yeah, no problem. What, um, after your two weeks away, obviously during, uh, during this very low point of your time, what made you sort of kind of say, what said right? I'm gonna go back, come back to your life, and come back to the situation and face the face the scenario. The scenario, the police actually found me. Okay. Yeah, the police. And they brought me back to my mum and dad's house. And there, there was my wife, there was my in-laws-to-be, sorry, there was my future wife there, she was just my fiancée at the time, and my father and mother, and actually even my, 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 my godmother was there. And when they saw me, they just put their hands right around me and they gave me a big hug and I, I just burst out crying. I already had tears for many weeks. 
and um, basically, you know, this my mom especially, you know, the saviour of my life, you know, she put her arms around me and she just hugged me and said, welcome home, you know. So, there, I told them where I'd been. I couldn't talk because I was highly, very lowly depressed. I was really blocked. But I just looked at my wife, well, my fiancé, and I said to her, listen, I'm no use. What are you doing here? Run. Don't marry me. Do not marry me. You can do much better. Well, she turned around and she says, Marcello, I love you. Are you going to do this again? And I promised her no. But I said, still, go. I can guarantee that. Better. I said to her, no, go. Please don't marry me. Please just forget about me. Find somebody better than me. But she insisted, so she stayed. And we got married. We got married in the June of 2000, sorry, back, rewind, 1994. From there, <clears throat> I never gambled for five. Actually, I went into church in Glasgow. Well, actually, I'd left to go to live in Glasgow. of the, the business uh, thanks to the big supermarket and um, 
Uh, no offense to supermarkets, but you know, it's crippled the little guys, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, what, um, <clears throat> what I'm saying here is that, um, yeah, I decided to actually go back into fish and chips. Mm. So, here we go, 1999, I take over my brother-in-law's extremely rough, in the east end of Glasgow, fish and chip shop serving fish suppers through metal bars and dealing with all type of addic addicted people of some sort of addiction, whether drugs, uh, alcohol, or gambling, you know. And, but anyway, it was a really, really... I was starting to make money again. It was a really busy shop, you know, and I used to have a lot of <laughs> f f uh, football matches, uh, you know, during the course of the year, and that's when the, the, the takings were good, you know. So, uh, you know, things were good, and I actually managed to move into a, a bigger house as well, you know. Uh, you know, then my dream home, actually, for my family and I, you know, it was my dream home. So yeah, 1990, so it's actually in 2000 already, um, I bought this house, you know, and my wife was still at home, she was not working, you know, you know looking after the kids, and um, the problem was, I was gambling, so whatever I was earning, I was actually just taking in profit back home, you're probably talking maybe just 30, 40%. Instead of the hundred percent that I was taking of profits, you know, for living uh, way of life, yeah. So I remember every time there was a football match, and my first takings of the morning because I was busy for the supporters going into the match, it would go quieter during for two hours. So what would I do? I would go into my till, take my take my money, and where would I head off to? The casinos. Of Glasgow. Because I was barred the ones in Edinburgh, but the ones in Glasgow. Never. It was different chain as well, you know. So, basically, I went. And I was a compulsive gambler. I was just gambling and gambling and gambling. And I was getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And I was there was more arguments in the family, you know. And, you know. But one thing I must say. You know, and this is no no offense to my ex-wife, okay, not at all, because she's a loving mother, and I respect her, and I still truly love her as an ex-husband. You know, not because I'd like to get back together with her, because she's moved on. You know, and I'm happy for her, but I'm going to say one thing: when a husband and a wife, or a boyfriend and Girlfriend, you know, one of them has this uh, addiction, okay? It's extremely important to, number one, start not controlling the addictive person, but start to analyze exactly what's going wrong in their life, and where, where they're going wrong, and what's happening, what's happening to money, what's happening to their character, and everything. And actually start analyzing the moods because here where the depression kicks in even higher than what I had before gambling was the fact that my moods and my days started to get longer to becoming weeks that I was bed bound for depression which came to the 2001 but I will say I will keep rewind talking about actually support for people that have addictions 
And the key is all about love. The key help means love. And I totally understand wives or husbands, because there's many women gamblers as well nowadays, especially with the online gambling. Bingos are shutting down, but women are playing on gambling, and it's all hidden, hidden, hidden agenda. So anyway, when you notice a different character in the person that you live, live with and love with, love and care about, okay, please, please start asking them little questions, but not being angry, even though automatically you're talking, you're going to be angry, I understand that, because there's money missing, there's problems in it, you know, you can't pay this, you can't buy that, and that's stress. So, but I, I want to really stipulate this, and I'm sorry I keep on going straight into this all the time. Find out where your husband's going or where your wife is going. Find out what's happened to the money. If you start seeing big changes in it, okay, if it's 10, 20 pounds, the difference a week, fair enough. You know, you could have been buying something or, you know, something nice, even a bunch of flowers, which sometimes is not appreciated, you know. Uh, but, you know, what I'm saying is, even if it takes to you to, to follow your husband or your loved one, you know, your wife, whoever it is, to follow and see where they're going. Grab a taxi, see where they're going. And there's two ways I recommend that you should do this, okay? is actually catch them on the, on, the, on the spot of when they're gambling, okay? And actually show them off, show them up in front of people. Show them up. Make them feel belittled that the fact what they're doing is absolutely wrong. Please do this for your money. And at the same time, once you have caught this person doing this, when you come out of the, the bookies or you come out of the bingo hall or you come out of the casinos, take the person in arm, okay? Even though I know it's angry, but actually forgive them on the spot because you love them, really. But don't be stupid to the forgiveness. Actually just... Work with the person. Say, listen, we can help. We can get through this. But obviously, I'm going to say this: a gambler can only start to resolve his own problems because it's really his own problem, really, because he's the one who's doing wrong or she's doing wrong. Is to admit the problem first to themselves, and then to seek help. And this help can come from love, but also there are many, many, many organizations. Many. There's the 12 steps, which all starts in Gambling Anonymous. And then there is faith. There is Celebrate Recovery. Very big, and I tell you, that's what helped me. Okay? But I'm going to go straight on to the really nitty-gritty here. Back on 2001, I severely tried to commit suicide in actions. And I'm not going to go into full detail of how I do this, but it, I get hospitalised. Okay. Okay, I get hospitalised. Actually, my my wife at the time and my, my father-in-law, they found me on the grounds of our own house. And they took, took they called the ambulance, they took me to the hospital. And I got revived. Thank God. And anyway, in that hospital, they then sent me to a psychiatric hospital. And I actually admitted, the, the, the doctor came to me and says, um, Hey, Marcello, uh, now there's two ways we can do this. You either accept the fact that you, you need help, so you admit yourself, or there's other way, 
that we'll have to force you to admit yourself. What do you choose? I chose that I wanted help, so I admitted myself into this hospital. From there, like one week later, they came back and they diagnosed me with bipolar. I'd never heard of anything like this in my life. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't really know anything about depression. Okay. Even though, I, I have to say, I, my grandfather, my dear grandfather, which I never met, the father of my father, he actually committed suicide himself at the age of 52, 53. And even though he was a wonderful man, and there's not stories as in because once people die that they talk about, oh, how wonderful this, this man was or this woman was. He was actually a, an amazing guy. Done a lot of work, goodness, you know, as a soldier and as uh, as um, thingy. But anyway. So, so when, you, when you found out you had bipolar and you were starting to deal with it and obviously learn about it, more about it, what were your thoughts or how were you sort of dealing what, I mean, what was going through your mind uh, when you were discovering that you had this? <laughs> oh, rewind. Back to Lauderdale Hospital. Um, when they told me, I was like a zombie anyway. I was depressed and then I was on medication. So they actually put me on lithium. Uh, 1,400 milligrams of lithium a day and they put me on 140 milligrams of antidepressants a day. And what did I think? I, I, I knew that I was a failure. I knew that I was low. I knew that, I, you know, I just didn't make sense of my life at all. You know, it was, I wanted to die still, if you know what I mean, you know. But anyway, I was hospitalized for three weeks. At the end of the three weeks, they, let, they released me and sent me home. And I had maybe about four or five days, probably a week away from, uh, you know, from work. But um, four, here we go, four weeks later, I go back into this environment, serving fish, fish and chips and pizzas through metal bars in East End of Glasgow. So I'm back to square one to where I started from. Right. And I continued gambling. Okay. I didn't know that this, the prayer, I just thought there was something wrong with me. You know, it wasn't to do with the gambling so much, was it? I started gambling probably maybe I don't know six seven weeks after the, this scenario you know you know, and the beauty about bipolar it's actually can be turned around in a gift you know I was very creative and I used to spring back up and keep on fighting but I was destroying my life at the same time with the gambling and the arguments and this and that and people misunderstand actually bipolar sorry that I could go back onto that is very very mis misunderstood. What it is, is actually creativity and fastness with our mind that we can see things before we actually hit them. And then many things we want to do. So, you know, and many people, we get judged for this, you know, especially when we have our lows, you know. And, um, you know, it's really, really quite annoying because people don't understand us. But sometimes we don't, especially me at the time, I didn't understand myself. What was going on? I'm high, I'm low, I'm this and that. I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't, you know, Marcello, he's a crazy guy, you know? So, yeah, um, that was it until 2003. 2003, because of gambling, especially because of depression, my wife could no more. She couldn't handle it anymore. And I don't blame her for it. I understood... I didn't want to leave her. That's one thing for sure. I didn't want to lose my kids. Absolutely no way. It was, 
18th of August 2003. She took the kids away up to her mum's. Mum and dad were on holiday. And I, I, she left me basically. And she says, that's it, no more. Even though prior, the year prior to that, we had a six months breakup. But we were both staying in the same house, different rooms. But, um, yeah. Um, it was the most painful time of my life. I was losing the kids and the woman that I loved. But I didn't really, I did love her, yeah, and I do. Uh, well, no, I did love her as my wife before. But I understand how I made her weak, you know. So she, she left. So from there, we put up, I said to her, this is a family home. This is not just a beautiful four-bedroom detached villa with 160 square metres of garden and two nice cars outside. Even though I was gambling, but it doesn't justify the fact that I, I would keep on gambling, even though I was having this. Can you imagine the kind of money that I was throwing away, but at the same time I was still surviving and there was food on the table. But what I'm going to say, ladies and gentlemen, for many, many people, you lose everything. Absolutely everything, and you like you go you go straight to the gutter. You go straight to the to the streets. What was your so after so after the time when your wife left and and decided to call it quits? Um, what was obviously it's a big a massive shock to the system. Um, and it's hard to obviously be nobody's going to ever understand for people who have been through that. Obviously, been through married marriage. And actually, you've gone through that the separation is, and especially where kids kids are involved, um, the shock of the system of it. I mean, how were you feeling? Did you just suddenly, did you go on a rampage of just gambling just to try and hide it, or you just did you just let you go to your bed, or how did that sort of what all happened? And obviously, to, you're trying to process such a huge amount in such a, a short space of time. Oh, another brilliant question, Fraser. Another brilliant question. Okay, actually on that day, on the 18th of August, 2003, I did not have any money. I gambled the last £600 that I had in my, my, my home, my safe in the house. That's why she left me, because she knew that money was there, and she knew automatically that's what I did. But she accused me of something that I hadn't done the night before, thinking that I did go, because we just came back from a holiday, right? But the fact is, you know, I, she accused me of something I'd never done. So basically, I can understand why... Because once you're a gambler, you're always a gambler. You're always a liar. But ladies and gentlemen, we do say the truth at times as well. We're not always completely liars. Okay? Now, what happened there? No money. And the woman that, you know, basically, you know, that I loved. And uh, she loved me before, a long time ago. You know, it's broken, and uh, I, she wanted me to, to sell the house. She wanted 75%. I said, no, you're going to get 50%, because that's the law, but obviously I will support the kids, you know, they're our children. But I said, please don't leave, because this is, a, you know, our family home. It's not just bricks and mortar. So, but anyway, she needed to do it. And I made a mistake. I sold that house, and I gave her the 60 it was over 60% of the money that we had of collateral involved in that house. And I got the hell out of Glasgow. I decided to go back home with mum and dad. But at the same time, actually, with the money, you know, it was the hardest decision I had to make in my life back then. You know, really hardest, because I was leaving, actually, my children to move to another town near Glasgow, another city near Glasgow. 
to actually just, you know, start a new life. But I was missing my kids and everything, and you know, and I still miss my kids as in I'm not growing up with them every day. You know, I don't see them every day. I only see them at weekend, you know, once every couple of weeks, you know. So it's, you know, that, that. There you go, mistakes. One mistake, one bad choice can lead to a different path of your life, you know. Um, so, yeah. Um, so with all that happening, how did you, when did you come to that? I went to bed, basically. That was your question before, yeah. yeah. Did you, went, when did you suddenly stop, when did you finally stop gambling? When you, when you obviously, you're going through all this process. Well, Fraser, I'm going to go back to that question that you yeah. ask, and I know I talk a lot, you know, but uh, this is the other thing, by the way. Talk a lot now when you're fine, because I still have relapses, ladies and gentlemen, or depression. I really do, you know. Even though... Once that happened, I actually went straight to depression mode, and my depression got longer and longer as in length of time. So basically, I've been bed bound up to four months in the house, completely blocked by not being able to speak, not being able having any energy at all, not being able to even wash myself, you know, for for weeks and stuff, you know, because of no energy, and not even being able to cook for myself. Uh, because I just let myself go, you know, completely. And not because it was a choice that I won, but my energy was just not there. I was not thinking straight. I was just, I was like a zombie. You know, this is depression, ladies and gentlemen. Depression is like that. You know, and the depressed person does not realise what's gone wrong, or why it's like that. And it's actually a serotonin condition, you know. It comes from serotonin in our brain. And there's a deficiency there that, the, the, you know, we don't actually reproduce as fast as other people, uh, serotonin-wise. But then I will come to this very shortly, you know, and how things can get better. And, and so, and uh, as ex-gamblers' lives, but rewind again. After I actually bought a house here in this other city of uh, beautiful Scotland, I... Uh, Bought the house waiting for what, a year and a half, and I was not gambling actually. Of that, taught me a big lesson for uh, actually <laughs> not uh, gambling because I uh, anymore because I lost my children, I lost the marriage, I lost everything, you know. But I still bought this uh, smaller house with the hope of my ex-wife to join me in my city again with my children, you know. And I waited a year and a half, but my my. The problem was that I was not able to work as much as what I was working before because of my health. My health deteriorated something chronically, you know, just got worse. And even more so because obviously my ex-wife, she was blaming me and she don't want me to see the kids and I hid the kids from me for many, many months and, you know, and uh, things were terrible, they really were. They really, really were bad. Um, so anyway, a year and a half later, once I asked her so many times, but she definitely did not more believe in me. She didn't love me anymore, and she doesn't, I know, you know. She, I asked her the last, for the last time, a year and a half before I sold this house in, a, in, in, in the city where I was living, that uh, she would join me, and she said no. So what did I do? I was feeling depressed and crazy. I had to pay them. I had to live, so I decided to sell the, the property. I didn't need a um, place with three bedrooms, you know. And I uh, went to stay with my mum and dad again, and um, 
I had 25, I had money back in my pocket. I invested some into being a taxi driver, okay. Uh, so I bought um, like my wee car, you know, and uh, started being a taxi driver. But first of all, I was a chauffeur driving around in limousines, you know, America, but they were not mine, you know, just for a chauffeuring iron company. And, um, you know, so I, was, so I was trying to live. And I got back into a relationship after a year and a half. And uh, But anyway, that was that's history because um, we were not for each other. Uh, but uh, anyway, my, my life was really, really talking maybe five, six months a year, seven months a year that I was bedbound between actually one to two months or four months in bed feeling like a zombie, not by choice, but just the way of truly depression. And the medication I was on, you know, but it was not helping me. I'm not saying the medication is not good, you know, for certain people it works, certain people it doesn't. So I really believe that, you know, if you're on meds, whoever's depressed, whoever's on bipolar or manic or clinical, please take your meds. But I really say this with all my heart, all my soul, watch what you eat. We are what we eat, and it's very important for our diet to be focused on what we eat for chemical imbalance to go through our system, our digestive system, to eat lots of vegetables, to drink lots of water, to, you know... I'm probably boring you here a little, fr- uh, Fraser. Well, but, no, uh, what I'm going to say is, I'm just going to backtrack a bit, just to, uh, so yeah, yeah, a little bit off track a little bit. Uh, what I'm going to say is, uh, so when you be back, obviously you be back with to your folks' uh, house. You started doing the taxis. How did that? Um, mean how long did you do the taxis for? Or uh, in between? Episodes? It was part time. It was part time. You know, because of my health. You know, so, so what? What year was this roughly when you sort of? Well, this was 2003, you know, I bought the house, uh, and then in 2004, nearly 2005, I bought the taxi, sold the house. Alright, we're going to leave that interview there in part one. Please look forward to part two soon. Part two, it talks about how you went from casinos to going to the bookies, and a lot, lot more about his life. Um, coming up in part two of the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. So please, when we stay tuned to this interview and wait for part two in suspense. And thank you for listening. And good night and goodbye. Stay hard, stay hungry, and enjoy and listen up to part two soon. So goodbye for now. Bye bye now.